Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Thanks. Saturday mornings at 8.30. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. I am the Bill Arnold part of that sentence. What a great hour we just had. So nice to talk to Ray Comfort once again. Eric Davis, pastor from Wyoming. This hour is going to be great. But I just want to say thanks to everyone who jumped on board and went ahead and got tickets to come to the uh, November 21st live event with Jeff Redorn. So it's all sold out. So uh, we are going to have a waiting list. And get your name on the waiting list if you want. But we would love to... uh, Make space for you. If you end up with a ticket and can't come, let us know because we would have others that would take your place. So that is, uh, that's the 21st of November. So if you got your tickets, way to go. And if you didn't, sorry, but we'll do it again uh, because it's going to be a great night. All right, we've got Alex McFarland coming up in just uh, a minute. And then Rebecca Rhea is going to be joining us in this hour too. So it's going to be a sensational hour, the way I look at it from this side of the studio. So let me take 60 seconds and bring on Alex. I'm Neil Stave, a manager of Faith Radio. I came across a saying that stuck with me over the years. It says, the most difficult arithmetic to master is learning to count our blessings. But let me say that's never the case when thinking about you who support this ministry. You are a blessing to us, and we're filled with gratitude because of your partnership. The Faith Radio Giving Report I receive every day causes me to stop and praise God over and over for His goodness through you. Your generosity and faithfulness in supporting this outreach is so encouraging, and we are truly thankful for the commitment you show in funding this ministry. Because of your gifts, the gospel goes out, God's Word is taught, and lives are changed. So in this season of Thanksgiving, let me once again say it clearly and sincerely, thanks for your support. When we count our blessings at Faith Radio, we think of you. We appreciate all who listen to Faith Radio, but those that give make it possible for all to hear. So join the giving team today with a gift at MyFaithRadio.com. So glad to have my friend Dr. Alex McFarland back on the show he pioneered the truth for a new generation conference. He's written 20 books, the all-around world's nicest man. Alex, how are you? I'm doing great, Bill. You are so kind. Oh, it's all Good true, though. I don't make this up. <laughs> well... You're you're very gracious, and it's good to be with you. You know, I, I associate just good feelings with uh, Faith Radio and being on with Bill Arnold. Because nice. when, whenever I'm on, it's Friday. That's true. And I like, for the record, I like Friday. I do, too. <laughs> I do, too. <laughs> I do too. I do, are you traveling this weekend? Do you got something going on? Uh, I am. I'm actually going to be at First Baptist Church of Stewart, Florida, Sunday nice. through Wednesday, which is kind of near Orlando. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to be on an airplane tomorrow morning. But um, going to Florida, uh, here's my week. Florida, and while I'm down there, I'm going to be speaking in several public schools in addition nice. to doing apologetics at the church, First Baptist Stewart, Florida. 
Then I go to Cincinnati because a week from today, we have um, the last Truth for a New Generation event of this year. Okay. And uh, folks, if you know anybody in Ohio, tell them about it. Uh, the, uh, you can get complete information at alexmcfarland.com. But listen to this, Bill. You're going to love it. We're going to have Josh McDowell, Erwin Lutzer. Oh, wow. Uh, just about eight or nine speakers. We're going to be talking about Christianity in the 20th century. Uh, 21st century. I'm so sorry. Mm -hmm. That's all right. Uh, but uh, Islam, atheism, uh, transgenderism, homosexuality, uh, the just issues about things like open borders. I mean, uh, should America have you know responsible immigration policies? What's the morality uh, behind that? And what is the Christian worldview on a myriad of very tough issues nowadays? And so, TNG is a week from today. Truth for a new generation. And we hope uh, people will pray and, if possible, attend. Alex, you are such a skilled communicator. When you said you're going to be speaking in a couple of public schools, that means you can't declare the name of Jesus. What are you talking about? Great question. Thanks for asking. Yeah. You know, when, when I do public high school assemblies, which I, I more and more am in public high schools, uh, which is really cool because, you know, generally I'll go to some city and I'll be in a local church, and then they'll, you know, by one way or another, I'll get invited to speak in high schools. And and I want to say this, even though I am a Christian speaker and evangelist, I don't break the rules. I mean, if I really, really, really try to respect the boundaries, um, but I'll talk about basically three things, college, leadership, and the Constitution. Mm. Um, I do a um, seminar on how to succeed in college, where we really do give young people some very practical tips about how to make it in college and earn that degree, and I you know, pretty passionately encourage young people to go to college. Um, the other thing, I do a seminar on leadership and be, being an influencer, not a follower. And we talk about bullying and not not being bullied or not being a bully. So we talk, I do a seminar on uh, developing the leader within you. And then thirdly, I do a talk, which I love to do, on the Constitution. And really, um, what does it mean to be an American? and how the Constitution came about. And, and I will say this, in public high schools and middle schools, you can share a fair amount of Christianity merely by quoting our founding fathers. Mm. And it's nice and legal, because, you know, it's a matter of historical record. And so um, if anybody listening, you know, wants to talk to me about coming to their city and getting in the schools, you know, I've... It's interesting, Bill. Uh, there's this old saying we preachers use, I'll, I'll preach at the drop of a hat, and I'll drop the hat. <laughs> um, I have done talks to entire staffs of hospitals mm -hmm. on ethics and the, the basic of, of ethics and bioethics. And, um, you know, the my wife is a nurse, so I've studied the oath of Hippocrates, and I know a little bit about that. Um, I've spoken to school boards. I've spoken to, you know, city councils. And it's amazing um, the groups you get in front of, the diverse number of groups. I've been to death row in Virginia. I've been to 24 prisons. When, when you say yes to pretty much anything, you can get in front of a lot of different audiences. That is so true. And God's using you in powerful ways. So I'm always a, always a fan of hearing what you got going on because I'm in, inspired and I think it encourages the body too to say let's say yes to stuff which I'm not as good at doing as you are because you get on planes way more than I do and 
You've oh, got man. you've got the the capacity and the willingness to deal with travel, which is big pain oh, most man. times. Um, did I ever tell you about the time? Uh, and by the way, it's such a blessing to be on with you. Did, but did I ever tell you about the time I was on a flight? And there was a man, an irate traveler, and he was taking the Lord's name in vain. No, I don't know this story. I'd love to hear it. Well, so so we're in Atlanta, and this plane is delayed like three hours, which is not that bad of a delay. Some of you that do a lot of flying, you know, I mean, a three-hour delay, it could be worse. I mean, I've had 24-hour delays. But this one man was up, you know, get, just giving the gate agent a hard time and taking the Lord's name in vain. It was very sad. And, um, you know, finally I went up to him and, and I said, sir. And he turned around and I said, excuse me, but, um, you know, you were saying GD and taking the Lord's name in vain. And the Bible says God will not hold you guiltless for taking his name in vain. And I'm just concerned for your soul. And I just would urge you to ask Jesus to forgive you and and tell the Lord you're sorry and uh you 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 need to ask forgiveness because it's a very serious thing to take the Lord's name in vain and he looked at me and all of a sudden just redness welled up in his face and he reared back to slug me and he said like why you blankety blank and you know I knew and in my mind Bill I was like Lord help me Suddenly, as this guy, and it all happened in a matter of seconds, mm-hmm. as he reared back his fist to slug me, and I knew it was coming, his wife grabs his arm and and shouts, Honey, no. And they fall backwards. And he gets in a bad scuffle with his wife. I'm just standing there, and they're like literally in the floor fighting Two security guards came and drug both of them away. And this was, I want to say this was a couple like in their 60s. And I'm just standing there, and suddenly like everybody in the gate looks at me and applauds. And I didn't do that um, for any accolades, but all these people came up and they said, you know, um, that guy was taking the Lord's name in vain and it just was making my skin crawl. And uh, I, I wanted to say something. I'm so glad you said something. And, you know... I think we have to, as as Christians, you know, we don't want to be like up in anybody's face or anything like that. And and I don't go looking for confrontation. I really don't. But listen, when when the word of truth needs to be spoken, we need to do it, don't we? Yes, and, we um, do. Yeah. And I was just just talking to Ray Comfort today, and he oh, was saying he's a dear friend. Oh, what a wonderful guy. Yeah, he is. And he was saying, you know, why is it the name of God and Jesus gets used as a curse word? Why isn't Allah or Buddha. Yeah. Well, it's because, you know, I think people take the Lord's name in vain because deep in their heart, at some inherent level, they know that he is authentic. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it, it wouldn't mean anything to say, you know, unicorns or, right. you know, Frosty the Snowman. I mean, we know those are mythical. When people are trying to swear an oath, if you know, if you read old books from like the 19th century, they referred to cursing as, quote, taking an oath. And uh, it's when you're taking the name of Jesus flippantly or taking the Lord's name in vain, that's swearing by the highest name, the name above all names. And I think people use God's name as an oath because deep down they know that that's the highest name in the entire universe. Mm-hmm. 
All right, Alex, I want to uh, discuss, and I think I'll go to break real quickly and then come back. What happens when people say something about you that isn't true, how troublesome that can be and how much you can be bothered when people bring falsehoods against you? And then I think, oh, how must how must God feel with all the, mm. the things that are said about him that simply aren't true? Um, so I want to talk about that when we come back. Dr. Alex McFarland is my guest. Go to alexmcfarland.com to learn more about Alex and see his books and resources. We'll be right back. song to Dr. Alex McFarland. Head to alexmcfarland.com to learn more about Alex. Alex, all right, let's talk about what happens uh, about people tell lies mm-hmm. and they start believing lies you know, or they, they tell others something about you that's not true. Yeah, you know, um, I read Matthew seven twenty one through 24 and Jesus says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out devils in your name? Did we not do many wonderful works? And, you know, Bill, it's almost like with increasing intensity, they get on the scripture list. Lord, you know, we use religious language. We did religious activities. And we did, you know, all sorts of other hopefully meritorious work, many wonderful works. And Jesus says in Matthew seven twenty four, 24, I never knew you. See, getting to heaven is predicated with having a relationship to Jesus. You know that old saying, it's, it's all in who you know. Well, in terms of eternity, it's in, you know, contingent that we know Jesus, that we have a relationship with Jesus. But um, I really do think there's going to be very, very harsh condemnation for those that have taught things that are unbiblical and not only distortions about Jesus, but even things that would be an obstacle preventing people from coming to the true Jesus. Um, I'll tell you about a, a newspaper article I just saw last week, but um, is is that the import of your question um, well, regarding people who ostensibly speak for God but speak things that are unbiblical? Yes, I think that we're hearing more and more distortions about God. It's trying to, they're trying to custom fit him into the world in which they're living, and they're misrepresenting the gospel and truth, and they are uh, they're, what they're talking about is not the gospel. Yeah, exactly. And let me say one thing that I, I really think we need in the American church is a return to the authority of the Bible. Yes. The biblical authority. Because, look, we live in an age when a lot of people would love to declassify a lot of sins, things that the Bible clearly calls, you know, sinful. And probably no bigger uh, issue has... Uh, hit the church in the last hundred years, like the issue of homosexuality, and now homosexuality and transgenderism. And look, all people can be saved who will turn to Christ. Um, can, can murderers go to heaven? Sure, if they'll turn to Christ and be born again. Prideful, self-righteous, arrogant, narcissistic people, dishonest people, lustful people. And I want to be very clear, uh, the Bible condemns all homosexual activity, but the Bible also condemns heterosexual promiscuity. So we're not singling anything out. But Bill, um, I grew up in a denomination that has turned very liberal. They've also gone from 
millions of members down to just a few thousand. But um, regardless of uh, the spirit of the times, the Word of God is eternal. Jesus, I'll give you one verse, John 10, 35. Jesus said the Scripture cannot be broken. And so, um, you know, I've, I've been, I don't know, a couple of hundred universities where I've spoken or been on a panel, and I've had people in theology departments say, well, you know, um, this or that sin is no longer a sin anymore. Um, I tremble for people like that because, listen, um, you you can placate people in a given minutia of an era, uh, and then you stand before the eternal God and, I mean, you know, read Revelation 22. God has some incredibly harsh things to say about those who try to add to or take away from his word. Um, you know, if you read 1 Corinthians 6, there's this great long grocery list of those that do not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And, you know, there's a past tense verb, were. It says, as such were some of you, mm-hmm. that you've been changed. So, um, you know, I... I I tremble. We, we are to believe the word. We're to live by the word. We're to proclaim the word. But we are not at liberty to change or rewrite that word, are we? No. And uh, Alex, what you said is going to stick with me for probably forever, that we are trying to look for ways to declassify sin. And I see so many churches that saying, well, you know, we welcome everybody. And the message I hear behind that is we will not stand in judgment of your lifestyle or call it sin, and if we take sin out of the equation, we're going to take Jesus out of the church. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know I, I picked up a newspaper. I was in Colorado a week before last, and there was a, a an article about spirituality, and there were several different... There was a, a Buddhist uh, practitioner that was quoted, and there was a, an imam from a mosque, and there were several others, and there was even a Satanist, quoted but there was a christian and the question for all of these these clergy was uh what do you believe about the afterlife and how to go to heaven and amazingly the christian um and no doubt in in any american city you could find clergy that are heretics you could find clergy that are very biblical and orthodox but this particular clergy they ask you know what do you believe about the afterlife and how to go to heaven and this person was um a pastor of a mainline church that traditionally you would have thought would have been right on the money. And this particular pastor said um, basically this, and I, I kept the article because it was so, you know, shocking, really. But he said, you know, we all believe in this divine spirit, and regardless of what label you are or what religion or even maybe no religion, uh, we all have the spirit in us. And, you know, we try to do our best, and we're a good person. And, you know, there's going to be joy in the afterlife for all people of all creeds or no creed. Mm-hmm. And just just know that, you know, it's all going to work out in the end. And, and I thought, wow, how could you call yourself a Christian? Because, you know, the New Testament is clear. Paul said in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 5, the gospel is this, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ for the sins of the world. And we are to preach the gospel. Jesus himself, I mean, Jesus, 
not some radical right-wing Bible banger, but the Lord Jesus said in John 8, 24, if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Isn't mm. that something? That's powerful. Lu- mm-hmm. L- Luke thirteen three. if you don't repent, you will perish. And so um, Acts four twelve. there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved, only the name of Jesus. So I will say that um, part of the reason that I think our nation is in the debacle it's in, spiritually and socially, Bill, is because we've got um, pastors that have been in the pulpit and they've either preached a message that was unbiblical or maybe less than biblical. And, hey, does God love people? You bet. Are we to love people? Absolutely. But we must, as leaders, as Christians, and certainly as clergy, we are to preach how sinners can find a Savior. Heaven is real. Hell is real. But the blood of Christ will wash away all sin. And we, we are called to preach the gospel and, and nothing less than the gospel. Mm-hmm. Alex, a listener uh, named Tim just said, what denomination is down to a few thousand? Uh, the Presbyterian USA, oh, okay. PCUSA. Okay. Um, when I was born, and my family was in this particular church, my dad was an elder, and for for nearly 200 years, my family was in this one particular Presbyterian church. And when I was born in 64, I forget how many millions of members I used to keep up with it. And I read recently that the PCUSA uh, is well under a million now. Uh, I think two or three years ago, it was something like 800,000. And that might sound like a lot of people, but you've got to understand there are more than 300 million people um, in America. Uh, There was a really, really powerful theologian some years back called John Warwick Montgomery, and he was such a defender of the faith. um, He was kind of legendary, but he wrote a book called The Suicide of Liberal Christianity. And it's true, the more politically and theologically liberal churches and denominations go, the more they die, because, you know... Why, why bother with all the rigors of church if we're all okay anyway? The more biblical and the more gospel-centric and the more people tell the message of new life in Christ, the more churches grow. And so th- there's a lesson in that. But, Bill, all of us, we've we got to think of that day we're going to stand before Christ. And popularity and political correctness will not matter that thing that we need to think about is when we face our Lord, were we faithful with his message and what he told us to do? Yeah, it's such great wisdom and such an awesome reminder. Alex, um, it's so nice to talk to you again. I think we've gone a couple months without chatting, so it's nice to have you back on the regular uh, schedule. Amen. Well, you and your great staff mean a lot to me, and it's always an honor for me to be on the Faith Radio Network. Likewise, and safe travels uh, this weekend and into Florida next week. We'll be thinking of you, and I'll keep you on my prayer list. And I, you. God bless you. Thanks, Alex. Alex McFarland's been my guest. Head over to alexmcfarland.com to learn more about Alex and his schedule and his work and his seminars and his books and his blogs. He's got it all there. alexmcfarland.com. We'll take a short break. Be back in a minute.
Oh, it's so nice to welcome back to the program Dr. Rebecca Reese. She is an author and a blogger. She grew up in Puerto Rico. Puerto, Puerto Rico. I got to say that correct. As a daughter of missionaries, she's undergrad at Yale, studied Hebrew at Yale Divinity School, master's in art and religion, and her PhD in religion and literature at Boston University. I could make it really short and say, Rebecca's really awesome. Go read her blog. Rebecca, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, you know, I love your blog, and every time I go there, I get challenged, and I get sometimes teary-eyed, and I always get moved. You always do such a nice job. Thank you. Yeah. So a couple of things on the blog, and one was called Silver Glasses, which I would love for you to tell our listeners about. Okay. Well, that was the most recent blog that I put up, and um, that started with an observation that sometimes we can feel alarmingly bad, even <laughs> when there's no cri- no crisis happening externally, mm-hmm. um, especially if we cultivate a habit of traveling inward to see what's going on inside. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the author Anne Lamott. I am not. She has, um, well, she's a, she's a spiritual writer, and um, she has this uh, very funny and astute um, observation. She said, my mind is like a dangerous neighborhood. I try not to go in there by myself. <laughs> <laughs> and so I find introspection to be a very useful and um Something we should do uh, to do quite a bit, actually, but we have to be um, careful when we do it. And so every Sunday when I'm trying to take a Sabbath day off, I try to journal a little bit to check in and see what's going on inside. And so I did that um, more recently, and um, I slammed up against something that I frequently slam up against, but this time it was um, a little bit different. And um, I, I talk about that in my blog called Silver Glasses. So... Um, I've, I've talked about this before in previous um, uh, talks with you, which was I've, I had a very difficult and abusive relationship with my fa- my now late father mm-hmm. growing up. And um, so I sl- the thing I slammed up against was this equation that's um, sort of been imprinted upon me, upon my soul since I was a child, which is, and, and I'm sure on everyone, um, any, anyone who's had a, a, a difficult relationship with their parent, which is I equate emotionally what I, what happened between my earthly father and me um, with what happens with my heavenly father and me. That's just sort of an emotional equation that's inside of me and been imprinted upon me. And thankfully, I've gone through a lot of um, inner healing about that. So there are things I can uh, do and say and remind myself of to um, get around, work around that problem. But it really is kind of my default that I go to. It's because it was from a very young age. That's um, just this side of heaven, something that um, has been left a deep impression upon me. So I was journaling about something on one of these Sundays where I go into that dangerous neighborhood and find myself. <laughs> and um, I slammed up against that equation again, only this time I was I was asking God the question of, you know, what do you want from me as a writer? Uh, I'm a writer. I'm kind of, you know, it would be helpful for me to know what do you expect from me. I'm kind of drawing a blank here. Um, I'm, I'm slamming up a kind of a, against a, a, br- a brick wall here. Only this time there was something on the other side of that brick wall that I, I – I broke through to that I'd never broken through to before, which was um, my father didn't particularly show um, special interest in his children in terms of what their unique gifts were, 
um, how they were formed and uniquely designed as individuals, what their destiny might be. Um, he, he didn't really have a capacity to, to have um, pursue those interests in us as individuals. And um, what I came up against this particular time when I was journaling about that was that that disinterest um, kind of equaled rejection. And I'd never really thought of being rejected by my dad before. So that was something kind of novel to me. And um, on the one hand, I thought, well, maybe that was a good thing because if, if someone is mistreating you, you don't even, you don't actually want to be an object of interest to that person. But when you're dealing with that primal relationship between a parent and a child, there's no way that there can be rejection there and it not be profoundly painful um, for the child um, on some level. I mean, you just have to be honest and acknowledge that fact. And so I was kind of picturing myself. I've had that abuse kind of stamped on my forehead um, for a long time now, and that's something that God has really brought a lot of healing for. But now I had this new stamp on my forehead, and it just said rejected. So in my mind, I was walking around with this label on my forehead, and there was something kind of niggling at me, like a, like a pebble in my shoe as I walked around with this mental image. And I think that's so often what the work of the Holy Spirit is like. I think that when we're struggling with something that's deeply painful to us, the Holy Spirit doesn't um, erase that struggle, and he doesn't um, override the hard thing that has surfaced. I think more often he asks us to hold something that he's trying to show us alongside of that whole, of that hard thing. He asks us to consider something that he's um, saying to us right next to it. I think that's often how he works. So for me, it was this. It was the story of how I got the silver glasses that I wear. So I said, Why I want you to think about this. So I started to think about how I got my silver glasses. So let's back up a few weeks ago. Okay. I went to the, I went to the price club where I wanted to get a new pair of glasses. And I was wearing a pair of silver glasses um, that I have on my face. And I said to the optician, you know, do you have a, a, another set identical to these glasses? I love these glasses. They're my favorite pair I've ever owned. Do you have them? So she went on the computer and started to check the inventory. And she said, you know, we don't have another pair. She said, why don't you go over to the, you know, the wall, the display, and see it. there's a ton of plastic glasses. Why don't you go and see if maybe you'll find something that you like? So I'm thinking, you know, I don't think so, but, you know, I, you never know. So I went over <laughs> and I went through the thousand glasses that they have there. Literally you thousands, never, you, yeah. Right, and of course, you take off your glasses, so you really don't even know what you're looking at because everything's a big blur. So um, I did went, went through the exercise and uh, came back, and I was empty-handed, and she was empty-handed. So um, I said, you know, I really like these. Um, maybe, you know, what we should do is just reuse them, and, and you could put the new prescription in them, and, you know, that's what we should do. Um, and so I kind of, we sat down at the counter and she started to, you know, make up the new order for the new lenses. And I kind of told her the history of how I had bought them. I said, you know, last spring I had to go to a fancy wedding, a dress up wedding. And I had just had, um, a procedure done on my eye, my cornea, and I didn't want to wear contact lenses to this fancy wedding. So I wanted to buy a pair of kind of, um, jewelry like lens uh, eyeglasses so that I could feel comfortable going to this fancy wedding, so which is why I bought these glasses. 
So she took them from me and she turned them over in her hands and she said, you know, I remember these glasses coming in. She said, when they came in, they came in in three different colors, silver, gold, and brass. And she said, I remember that the silver ones sold out immediately and um, there was only one pair of them. And that must have been you that got them. Wow. <laughs> so I thought, oh. And this is now, now, so this is an eyeglass center that's in one of those price club type stores. So it gets a lot of traffic. Yeah. I mean, it's a very difficult, I mean, a very, very busy place. You would think their so, inventory would be huge, right? Yeah. And it, yeah. And it just, and so, it's, but, she, but she told me, she said there was only one pair of these glasses and they sold out immediately. And she even asked one of her colleagues, she said, do we have any silver glasses and any other silver glasses in stock? She said, you know, I haven't seen any and not for quite a while. So that was kind of just an interesting little, you know, story that happened. We were just chatting, and she put in my order. And um, as I drove home, you know, I I thought about what we'd been saying, and um, I thought about two things. I thought, first of all, that's a very busy place, and somebody else could have so easily snapped up those glasses. And then I thought, and the other thing is, they're more than one optician that works there. There's like a whole crew of them. And somebody else could have helped me that didn't know anything about these glasses, the history of them. So it was like, as I was driving home, you know, the, it was like a little pebble got dislodged from my shoe. <laughs> and I saw that that little pebble that, you know, I'd been walking around in and that had been sort of niggling at me to think about was like a little diamond. And it was like a little gem that was supposed to address the hurt and the rejection that I had been feeling inside at this label that had been stamped on my forehead. It was like this little diamond that was saying, okay, the Holy Spirit was saying, now hold this little diamond up against that label. I want you to think about this. And what came to me was this, that someone wanted me to have these silver glasses, someone who knew how much they were going to bless me, someone who knew that um, when I have to get dressed up and go to fancy events, I tend to feel very insecure about my presence. So um, I needed to have just the right pair of glasses on my face. And someone who knows that I like to wear silver jewelry practically every day. Um, someone who also knew that eventually I was going to put two and two together and realize that although I may have been rejected by one father, I have been specially chosen by another father. And I've been chosen for a specific purpose and a specific destiny, even though I may not glimpse the whole of it yet. And this other father doesn't want me to what doesn't want to miss a single opportunity to interact with me, whether I am darting hither and yon in the open water or whether I'm, you know, struggling to breathe in the bottom of a fishbowl without <laughs> any water in it. Um, so I really had to think about that, and I thought, okay, so what, what's, what would be the new labels that are, you know, actually stamped on my forehead? And I came up with prized and special and loved. Mm. Those were like the, the – and, and then – but, Bill, I had, to, I had to think about those labels. That wasn't just like an automatic process. And, again, it wasn't like the Holy Spirit, like, erased the one and automatically, you know, some, something else appeared in its place. I feel like, you know, in this fallen world, we have to choose to do that work. Just like maybe we have to choose to say, you know, even though it might have some unpleasant parts to it, journaling on, you know, on our Sabbath or checking in with God about those places that we routinely slam up against and, you know, have to face the hard truths of, um, we have to do that work. We have to choose to put on those silver glasses and, and look through them 
Um, and maybe we have to ask other, you know, other people to help us do that when we're having a hard time because we dare to look at something dark and, and something we have a long history with that we've struggled with. And, you know, somebody that's going to be patient with us and say, yeah, I know you've been dealing with this a long time. Let me, let me hear it one more time. And, and maybe we can, you know, God will show us something different. So, um, I would say it's it's a tricky business. I'm um, taking those looks inside because sometimes, again, there was no external crisis going on, but I and I did have to face that new word rejection. But um, in the end, I would say I'm I'm glad that I journaled that Sunday, and I feel like I came out with a little diamond. Boy, no kidding, Rebecca! What a great story, and how God took you on this journey. And the pair of glasses that you wear and love, and by the way, look great on you, are the pair. <laughs> That was a one-of-a-kind pair. They absolutely turned out to be a one. I even looked online for them. They gave me the numbers for them at the store. They said, you know, you can try to shop for them online, and I have not been able to find them. Wow. That's because they're Rebecca's glasses and Rebecca's glasses only. All right. Yeah. Let, <laughs> let me take a little break. When we come back, I want to hear about Pasta Jesus. Rebecca Ree okay. is my guest. Go to RebeccaRee.net to learn about her and read her wonderful blog, that's R-E-B-E-C-C-A-R-H-E-E dot net. We'll be back in 90 seconds. Welcome back to the show. So glad to be talking to Rebecca Ree. She's been a regular guest on the show lately. And if you've not been to her uh, website and read her blog, you need to get there and get on her mailing list because her blogs are so wonderful. The one we just talked about, her silver glasses, is on her blog, and one of her newest ones is called Pasta Jesus, and of course that got my attention immediately, and as I read it, as I read it, Rebecca, I was completely gripped, as I am with all of your stuff, and I would love for you to tease our readers about Pasta Jesus. Yes, well, I'll assure everybody from the beginning, it's not that Jesus is made out of pasta, so of course um, we not. won't go there. No, of okay. course not. So let me start off by just asking a question. Have you ever had one of those dreams where you show up for a pop quiz and you're in your pajamas? Totally. Like, one of, yeah, like yeah. you're just so ill-prepared like, yes. for one of, the, one of those dreams. Yes. Okay, well, so I've been a Christian for, let's say, at least three decades at this point. So, you know, I've had a life of, prayer, of developing spiritual practice, of living in Christian community, and you could argue I've even had some advanced degrees in Bible. I have a, you know, a PhD in religion and literature, and I have to say with all of that, it's been almost of no help to me <laughs> in teaching my seven-year-old autistic son about God. So I have basically shown up for my pop quiz with my son, and I'm in my I'm in my pajamas. I am <laughs> okay. standing there going, "Okay, how do we handle this one?" <laughs> gotcha. And so um, I have needed something very simple and practical um, that will hit home for him in terms of explaining who is God and specifically who is God for him. So that's where Pasta Jesus comes into the picture. I was at the dollar store, and when I'm at the dollar store, I usually um, stroll down the toy aisle because you never know. With with my son, I often need motivators to help teach him how to do things or or to do them at all, and so I often have a little stockpile of things that I keep hidden in my house so I can like pull something out to help motivate him to do something. 
And so I happened to catch um, sight of this uh, little Jesus figurine. And um, I liked his expression because so many times you see Jesus either in paintings or figurines, and he's either um, looking like he's about to recite, like, the phone book, or he's like that perfectly oiled ringlet, or he looks like kind of creepy, like no nobody you'd want to sit next to in a movie theater or on a park bench, <laughs> mm-hmm. like, you know, just, just one of those. But this looked like, you know, good old wholesome, regular Jesus guy, you know, just, and, <laughs> and he was the perfect size. He could fit in the palm of, of one's hand, which is where he mostly resides now. He sits on our dining room table. And whenever we um, say grace before a meal, we put pasta Jesus in my son's hand and we sing a very simple song. And then my son says, amen, but his version is actually amen. And then we, and then we eat. So uh, basically he is a plastic object that goes in my son's hand and and my son eats pasta every night for dinner. Hence we call him pasta Jesus. So to my son, he is a piece of plastic that he is put in his hand before he consumes carbohydrates. That is pasta (laughs) Jesus. So, um, (laughs) um, and because, um, my son loved marinara sauce on his pasta. He, uh, Jesus's white robes have gotten quite uh, red at this point. So he is, you know, the people's Jesus. He doesn't mind getting messy. Um, this is pasta Jesus. And um, it's very, I figured, you know, you have to start somewhere. You have to start somewhere. But um, so it's helpful to have pasta Jesus because, you know, it, my son is, is getting an idea that it's, it's good to give thanks before we eat. But I am under no illusions how huge the gap is between this little plastic figurine and who Jesus really is. Mm-hmm. I'm under no illusions about that. And um, as I contemplate this, you know, this chasm um, I've, between, you know, the real Jesus and pasta Jesus, I, I've noticed there's this hard little knot of anger inside me. And I think that... Um, something in me that actually, you know, blames God for my son's autism, um, sees no point in asking for God's help with this. It's almost like, and I'll read you a little quote from the blog, why stand in line with all the other suckers waiting for a handout from one who just as easily rains curses as blessings upon his hapless children's heads? And, um, Somebody might say, how can you claim to be a Christian and, and say something like that? I mean, how can you say, you know, it's God's fault your son has autism? How can you even think such things and, and say you don't even want to bother asking, you know, God to help reveal himself to your son um, because, you know, you're, you're so angry about this? Um, but I feel like no matter how long we've been believers, no matter how long I was talking about before the, the life of Christianity that we try to cultivate about prayer and community and, and spiritual practice, there will always be pockets of unbelief that remain in us um, that are usually tire, uh, tied to bewilderment and pain. Um, in certain corners of our soul, we are the ones that are clutching the pasta Jesus while the other people around us are singing. And we are the ones on one side of that gap while the other people are the ones with the faith and the belief and the knowledge. Uh, And maybe in those corners, 
of our soul where, where we're clutching the plastic doll. We have stopped believing that anything good will ever happen to us again. That is how profound we're hurt and we're bewildered and we're grieving some kind of loss, the way that my husband and I often grieve and struggle with our, with our son having autism. So the question becomes then, um, what do we do with those parts? What do we do with those parts that um, are, as you could say, unknowing of God and unbelieving of God as my son currently is um, in his, as, as where he is right now with, with Jesus and his knowledge of Jesus. And I would say maybe three things, simple things, small things. We, we don't talk about small things on our blog. And this, for the first, first thing I would say, for heaven's sake, have mercy on yourself. You know, don't berate the little atheist that's within you, because there's probably a really good reason why he or she exists. Like, my son's autism is no joke. There's a reason my, my husband and I struggle really hard with it. Um, and the, there is, it's, it's no joke whatever deficiency is within you, whether it's a deficiency of faith, of, of vision, um, whether, you know, you're struggling with grief or loneliness, whatever it is, it's no joke. And there's a real reason why, you know, you're struggling with, uh, with it. You didn't ask, you know, for that. He didn't ask for his faulty wiring in his brain, and you didn't ask for whatever deficiency is in your life. So don't berate that part of yourself. Have mercy um, to begin with. Um, that, was the, that would be the very first thing I would suggest. And then the second thing, I would suggest is um, get help in, in the sense of find someone who can put something very simple and practical in your hand. Don't try to do this by yourself. Um, I would no more expect my son to be able to take first steps towards faith and believing in God by himself from where he is in his beginning point than I would expect someone struggling with, you know, blaming God for something really hard in their life because that's how it seems like, wow, you have control over this, but yet you allowed it to happen. Well, if you're, that's where you are in your faith and that's how it seems to you emotionally, you need, to, you need some help with that. Um, you need some support with that. Um, you know, so get somebody who's going to walk alongside you with that. And on, on, as a sidebar, you might even want to find an image of Jesus that you like and that, you speaks to, that speaks to you to remind you of his presence through this process. You might want to go to the dollar store and find your own. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. Every little bit counts, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and the third thing is um, be patient. You know, when we read the love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, the first two, love is patient, love is kind. Those are the, that's how I'm trying to be with my son. I think if anything else, if I, if when he looks up in my face and he sees patience and he sees kindness, well, maybe that's the strongest and most compelling demonstration of who Jesus is that I can give him at this point, if, if words are not the medium that he uses, you know? So I would say, you know, be patient with yourself, be kind with yourself. There is a reason why you're not understanding you're on one side of that chasm and um, the faith you want to have in God, the understanding you want to have is on the other. Um, So just understanding that in all of us, there is a place where we are um, the autistic child, maybe if you want to say that, in our faith. And we need to be very loving and go gently with that part of ourselves. Rebecca, it seems like such a challenge because you need to be reflecting something to your son 
that says joy and calm and happiness when maybe internally you're feeling a little anxiety and restlessness? Oh, more than a little. And that's okay. why that's why the body of Christ becomes so important. Just this morning, I went to um, a prayer group that my, my church has on Friday morning and let a group of women lay hands on me and pray for me because I can't do this by myself. And what I don't want to vent on my son is some, I bring it somewhere else. And they help, they help me carry that this morning. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to encourage yeah. all of the listeners to go to uh, Rebecca's website, Rebecca Ree, R-E-B-E-C-C-A-R-H-E-E.net. Enjoy her blog, but then also pray for her when you go there. Just make it a point to say, I'm going to spend some time with the Lord lifting Rebecca and her family up. I know that would be uh, the most wonderful thing you could do is enjoy her writing and then to uh, pray for the family. Oh, thank you so much. That would be such a blessing for us. Yeah, I I would encourage everyone to do that. And again, Rebecca, every time you, you come on, I you're such a magnificent storyteller. And I just, your writing is beautiful and poignant and you do it so well. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. It is absolutely my joy and my honor. Terrific. Rebecca Ree has been my guest. Again, RebeccaRee.net. That's R-H-E-E. And, well, I guess that concludes another week of uh, doing the shows, and I pray that you have uh, a great weekend. I also uh, am so grateful that we get to spend this time together, that uh, when, when, it meet, when we get to meet and be together and do this, this is outstanding. I just love it. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sending me notes when you do. Thank you for supporting Faith Radio. That's uh, it for the week, so I guess it's time to ring the bell. See you Monday. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.